Behold, I make all things new. These sober but hopeful words of the Lord in Revelation 21 give us tremendous promise regarding our glorious future in Christ. Welcome to Encounter God's Truth. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and our teacher on this program is Dr. John Whitcomb. We've been studying some of the most important aspects of Bible prophecy related to the future of believers, and today we conclude this short series by looking at the last two chapters in all of Scripture. They give us a glimpse of the glory that awaits us, and also one last invitation for everyone to come and trust in Christ and receive His all-sufficient provisions for eternity. If you have your Bible, you'll want to turn with us to Revelation 21 and 22. Dr. Whitcomb is going to take us through the glorious description that it gives us of a new heaven and a new earth. Friends, there is wonderful hope to be found in this passage, but also a great challenge. So let's go to this week's message right away. Here's Dr. Whitcomb. Friends, what is the ultimate, final, eternal destiny of the church, the body and bride of Christ? Amazing things God wants us to know. Revelation 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there's no longer any sea. Look at all the things that won't be there anymore. Through these final two chapters, uh, no more sun, no more moon, no more darkness, no more sea. Uh, No temple, therefore no sacrifices. No abomination, no curse, no tears, no death, no mourning, no crying, no pain. What an amazing destiny God has announced and explained and revealed in these final two chapters of the book of Revelation. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for husbands. So the whole, the whole world is like the church in that sense of glorification. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. What a blessing. And from a negative standpoint, listen to these blessings. He shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. Not that they're going to have tears, but that's a way of saying there won't be any tears. There'll be no longer any death. No longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne says, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. I am the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. And he who overcomes shall inherit these things, and I'll be his God, and he will be my son. Now now notice in, in particular the kinds of people that will be in this eternal program following the thousand-year kingdom, the millennium. That is not clearly known, understood by many Christian people. Uh, look look carefully now with me, please. Verse number 12. This new city, this glorious new city, will have great high walls with 12 gates. And the gate, at the gates, 12 angels. Angels will be functioning again. Not during the millennium, remember, but in the eternal state, they'll have a function. And, and names were written on them, which are those of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. So you see, Israel will be have a distinctive identity even in the eternal state. They are symbolized, those 12 tribes, by these different gates. And we'll see more about those when you come down to verse 21. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl. How beautiful, how spectacular. But, but where is the church? Now listen carefully. Verse number 14. And the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones. 
and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. There is the church, distinct even forever and ever from Israel. And, of course, we read further down about those foundation stones in verse 19. Those walls were on stones adorned with every kind of precious stone, and it names a dozen different precious stones here that uh, characterize the, the multifaceted beauty of the church of Jesus Christ. You say, that's amazing. The foundation is the Twelve Apostles, well, you remember, don't you, friends, what Paul said about that in Ephesians chapter 2. Gentile believers who are born-again Christians are no longer strangers and aliens, Ephesians 2.19, but are fellow citizens with the saints, that is, Jewish saints, and are of God's household. So now in Christ, the church since the day of Pentecost, is one body, Jew and Gentile, equal before God. Really? Listen to this. Very important statement. Ephesians 2.20 Having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the, the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. You say, wait a minute, the foundation of the church is the apostles and prophets? What does that mean? Well, friends, uh, be careful here. Christ Jesus is the chief cornerstone, yes, but why are apostles the foundation? Those were sinful men. But you see, that's the point. When God wrote the Bible, he used those men, you see, to be his uh, pen and pencil, uh, to put down the word of God. It, it's only through what the apostles saw, experienced, wrote, remembered, and preached that enabled the early church to know who Jesus was, what he said, what he did. We know nothing about what Jesus said or did apart from what the apostles wrote under God's guidance in writing the scriptures. Now, I, I, I'm amazed at this, aren't you? Those, many of those apostles, we never heard, hear of anything again. Uh, in the book of Acts, we hear about, uh, of course, the apostle Peter, uh, how James was killed, the apostle John, but most of the apostles we never hear of again, especially the one that was appointed, of course, Matthias to replace Judas Iscariot. Someday, friend, here's my personal private thought. When we get to heaven, I'm going to say, Lord, tell me what happened to those apostles. Did they all, were they all martyred? Uh, did they go to different parts of the world? You know, there's a, there's a, a legend. Uh, I don't know much more about the legend than this, that the apostle Thomas went all the way down to India. And to this day, many Christians in Kerala and Western India consider their church to have been founded by the Apostle Tom, Martoma Church. Very interesting. I wonder where the other ones went. But the, the point is this, that it was through these men that God wrote the Bible. Uh, not just the apostles, of course, it says the prophets as well. And we know like, that includes somebody like Luke, as you know, and Jude and James. So thank you, Lord, for that, for that truth that the Gentile Christians, as well as Jewish Christians, are one unit in Christ, the chief cornerstone, as a part of a church built upon that foundation of what God told those apostles and prophets. Now, you see, there, that gives you the background, doesn't it? For the church, the identity, distinctive identity of the church and the identity of Israel in the eternal state. Now, there's another group here, too, this is very very fascinating to me. 
if you look at, at Revelation 21, verse 24, there's a third group of people, believers. And the nations shall walk by its light. And the kings of the earth shall bring their glory into it, through the gates, into the city, which is on those foundations. My, in the daytime, there'll be no night. Its gates shall never be closed. They, can just, they don't have to hammer on the wall or the gate to get in. And they, what will these Gentiles do, these kings? They shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it, into the city. And I say, amazing. They'll be Gentiles. They'll be glorified, yes, but they won't be Jews. They won't be Christians. They'll be Gentile believers, just like we know in the millennium. In the millennium on the earth, there won't be any Christians. They'll be what? Jew and Gentile. Very distinct, very different, but both born-again people. And I say that that is amazing. Forever and ever, three kinds of people. And, you know, you, you look back in the Old Testament, friends, and, and you can see how God made provision for those Gentiles. So even 2,700 years ago, God told Israel through Isaiah the significant part that Gentiles will have in the kingdom age. Now listen to this. Isaiah 56, verse 3. Let not the foreigner, the Gentile, who has joined himself to the Lord, those are believers now, born-again Gentiles in the kingdom, let, let them not say the Lord will surely separate me from his people. No, neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs that keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, to them I'll give in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I'll give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. Think of that. God has a special plan for people who are not legitimately Israelite. Also the foreigners, Gentiles, verse 6, who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant. Even those I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. That's during the thousand-year kingdom. Now, when you go ahead a little bit further into Isaiah chapter 60, you read more about this. Isaiah 60, verse 7. All the flocks of Kedar will be gathered together to you. The rams of Nebaioth will minister to you. Those are from Gentile nations. They will go up with acceptance on my altar, and I shall glorify my glorious house. And you say, that, that's amazing. All these people from around the world will come to the temple in Jerusalem? Yes. In fact, they're going to help build it. Now, this is spectacular. Isaiah 60, verse 10. And foreigners will build up your walls, and their kings will minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, I struck you, I punished you, and in my favor I've had compassion on you. And so with their kings leading in procession, verse 11, the nations will come to Jerusalem. And I say, Lord, how amazing, how amazing is this promise. So in Isaiah 61, verse 5, listen to this amazing statement, friends. And strangers, those are Gentiles, will stand and pasture your flocks, Israel. Foreigners, Gentiles, will be your farmers and your vine dressers. In other words, they're going to be there to help Israel in their function as the world leaders in the center of worship in Jerusalem at the temple. 
that is absolutely spectacular. Thank you, God, for that for gracious provision for all the peoples of the world to be there together. And friends, the final glimpse into eternal state in the first five verses of Revelation 22. Listen carefully to what your destiny is if you know Jesus as your Savior. Listen carefully. He showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street on either side of the river was a tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, health-giving. Everyone has eternal life. They're immortal. They can't get sick. They can't die anymore, ever, forever and ever. Isn't that an amazing promise and provision of God? And that, why, How can that be? Because, verse 3, there will be no longer any curse. And the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. He'll be here in this new heavens, new earth. And his bondservants shall serve him. Oh, we will, we're not just going to sit doing nothing, friends. We're going to serve. I don't know what we're going to do. It's hard to imagine what our function will be forever and ever and ever. We will serve him. And, and how blessed is this thought. They shall see his face. And his name shall be on their foreheads. You remember, one of the apostles asked Jesus, Show us the Father, and that will suffice us. He said, Have I been so long time with you? And you say, Show us the Father. He who has seen me has seen the Father. We'll never see the Father. We'll never see the Holy Spirit. We'll see Jesus, and we won't be dissatisfied. We'll be satisfied because his name will be on our foreheads, and we'll see his face. Thank you, God, for that precious promise for the church. And to find the final verse of the book of Revelation, because what follows is an epilogue, a review of the whole book. Verse 5, There shall no longer be any night, and they shall not have the need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun. Why not? Because the Lord God shall illumine them. No need for artificial light. Sun, moon, planet, stars. No, no. The Lord God shall illumine them. And they shall do what? They shall reign forever and ever. Again, like in verse 3, we'll serve him, we'll reign with him forever, not just in the millennium now, friends, in the eternal state. And friends, the final review of everything God has ever said in the whole Bible. Revelation 22, verse 6. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. You can count on this, friends. Why? Because the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show to his bondservants the things which must shortly take place. Uh, you know, we're, we're praying every day, aren't we? Lord, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done now, now, now. Please, Lord, come. And the, the promise is this in verse 7. Behold, I am coming quickly. Oh, blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. Just like God told Daniel, you remember, in his book. Seal these words. Protect them. Because in the end of the world, people will begin to understand what I really meant by what I said, Daniel, through your prophecies. But now don't seal these words up. Make them known. Announce them. Preach them everywhere to all nations. Why? The time is near. It's imminent. It can happen any moment. My. Now what's going to happen when he comes, folks? Are you ready for this one? Verse 12. Behold, he says, I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me. Now this is very precious to me. He says, my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. God is perfectly just. You remember what Abraham shall not the God of all the earth do right. Every person in eternal judgment will receive no more, no less 
than what he deserves. And I say, Lord, you are the perfect judge. Help me to, to trust you for that. The only ones, as we know, who will not get what they deserve are, are believers who will receive eternal glory by grace, simple faith. They'll be saved forever. Have you accepted him? Do you know him as your Savior, friend? Well, who is this person that does all this? Verse 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega. That's the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. The first and the last, the beginning. He's everything. He's the alphabet of the universe. Do you really know him? Has he spelled out your nature, your relationship to him, your eternal destiny, friend? Well, what's he going to offer those who just simply believe him? Say, Lord, I trust you. Right now, I've made a choice. Here's the answer. Verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. You remember that tree of life? Yes, all the way back there from the beginning of the world. God said, you can't have access to the tree of life unless you have a what? A glorified nature. Just like 22.2, on either side of the river, the tree of life. At last, we'll have access to that tree, which is symbolic, of course, of what? Eternal life. It'll never die. It will never fade away. The right to the tree of life, a symbol of our eternal relationship to God. Now, friends, how gracious God is to send an invitation. At the very end of this book, over and over, he says, please come, please come. Verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. That's it. Primarily, the capstone, you remember, the church then Israel, then the nations, the churches. What, what are we supposed to be doing today? The only believers in the world today are Christians. And so, friends, how precious is this final, final appeal. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. There we are. What a privilege, the bride and body of Christ, to do what? To announce to the whole human race, the Great Commission, who Jesus is and how to know him forever. Who is this Jesus? He said, I'm the root and the offspring of David. I'm the one who originated him and came from him through him to become a permanent member of the human race, to die on the cross for sins of men. Who else is he? He's the bright morning star. Oh, how precious that is. And the Spirit and the Bride, that's the church now, together, the Holy Spirit and the Bride, the church say, Come! The invitation is out there, friends. Come! Have you come? Let the one who hears say, Come! And let the one who is thirsty, Come! Let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cause. You remember Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy. Come to me, and I will give you to drink. Just like he said to that woman at the well, I am the one you need. Thank you, Lord. And so, verse 18, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to it, God will add the plagues. I don't want to do that, friends. I'm not going to add to this Bible. If anyone takes away from the words of the book, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city. I don't want to do that either. Leave the Bible as it is. It is absolutely perfect. It is complete. It is full. It is finished. It is adequate. It is sufficient. Thank you, Lord, for the precious, precious word of God. And then that final word again, verse 20, that final appeal. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I'm coming quickly. Amen, says John. Amen, I say. And I invite you, friend, to say amen, too. And then what? Come, Lord Jesus. Please come. I'm ready more than ever before. How about you, friends? The world isn't getting brighter. No governments, society, environment is not getting better. I'm saying, Lord Jesus, please come. Bring in the kingdom. Phase one, resurrection, rapture. 
Phase two, second coming. Phase three, eternal state. And so God says in the final word of the book of Revelation, the final verse of the whole Bible, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. So this book is a seamless garment, friends, ending as it began, with voices of the angel, the voice of Jesus, John the author, the Holy Spirit, and the bride. And I say thank you, Lord, for this precious book, without comparison, the capstone of revelation in the whole Bible, the Word of God. And I say thank you, Lord, for the destiny you revealed by your grace and your love for all who simply put their faith in Jesus, his finished work on that cross, his resurrection from the dead. And I say, I say thank you, Lord. Please come, Maranatha. Come, Lord. Come, Maranatha. Please come. That's Dr. John Whitcomb sharing the closing words of Holy Scripture, including its final invitation to believe and receive the Lord Jesus Christ, who will come back to this earth just as He promised. He is the judge, but also the Savior, and our trust must be in Him. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and this lesson serves as a good reminder that God's Word is true from the beginning to the end. That's our message every week here on Encounter God's Truth, a Bible teaching outreach of Whitcomb Ministries, Incorporated. We invite you to learn more about our ministry at whitcombministries.org. And from there, you can also follow the link to sermonaudio.com slash whitcomb to hear this program again, along with all of our additional broadcasts and messages. Now, Dr. Whitcomb, my question for today is, how does this study of the eternal destiny of the church shed light on the church's origin and nature as described in the Gospels and the Epistles? Wayne, this is a fascinating question. What was the church like at the beginning? What was God's design for it? Its distinctives, its uniqueness in this world. Well, it, the amazing thing, of course, is that nobody knew anything about a church back in the Old Testament. For 1,400 plus years, of course, it was Israel, Israel. And, and that is why there was a transition period after Christ died, rose again, ascended to heaven after 40 days, remember, in Acts 1. Ten more days, Pentecost, the church the body and bride of Christ was created by the Holy Spirit. But what, what was the church? For the first 40 years until AD 70 when the temple was destroyed, Jewish Christians, who of course were the foundation of the church in Jerusalem, we remember, were very confused about the part that Gentile believers would have with them. And so God finally, of course, made it clear through the Apostle Paul the uniqueness, the distinctives of the body of Christ, the church. Listen to how he ends the great book of Romans. Romans sixteen twenty five. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of what? Listen, of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the eternal God has been made known to all the nations leading to obedience of faith. To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be glory forever. Amen. The end of the book of Romans. Now, later on, you remember when Paul was uh, shipwrecked and ended up in Rome in prison, he wrote a letter to that great church of Ephesus. Now, here's where he makes it even clearer. The nature, the distinctives, the uniqueness of the church. Listen to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 3. By revelation, there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief, and by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, 
Mystery, by the way, musterion in the New Testament means something previously hidden, now revealed, not something spooky or strange. We, we, let's be clear about that. Something previously hidden, now revealed. Well, what was hidden? What's now revealed? Listen to verse 5. Which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. Not just Paul, but other apostles at the beginning of the church were told this unique distinctive of the church. Well, what is it? Look at verse 6. Here it is, friends. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Amazing. Shocking, of course, to Jewish believers, even Jewish Christians, that Gentiles, uncircumcised Gentiles, should be considered equal to Jews in the body of Christ. Well, it took 40 years, remember, before the temple was destroyed for this clarity to be understood, masterminded by believers. And I say, Lord, thank you for that uniqueness that Jesus predicted even back there when he told Peter, upon this rock I will build my church. Peter didn't know what ecclesia church was. Nobody knew until it was finally revealed, explained in the book of Acts after what? The day of Pentecost and the creation of the body and bride of Christ by the Holy Spirit. Thanks, Dr. Whitcomb, for reminding us of the uniqueness of the church. Although our program is over for this week, our ministry continues at facebook.com slash Ministries, where you can receive frequent updates from us, and at sermonaudio.com slash where you can listen to all of the messages in this series again. And please, pray for our ministry when you think of us, and make sure to join us again next week, when we will seek once again to encounter God's truth.